Welcome to the Latter-day Contemplation Presents Come Follow Me podcast. I'm your co-host, Abdul Haq, also known as Christopher Hurtado. I'm also co-host of the Latter-day Peace Studies Presents Come Follow Me and Latter-day Contemplation podcasts. In this podcast, I'm joined by my co-host and Sufi master, Sufi Al-Hajj Daoud, also known as Dr. David Peck. Dr. Peck is also the host of the Of Saints and Sufis, Musings of a Mormon Mystic podcast. On this podcast, we're sharing an actual master-disciple dialogue on scripture with little to no editing. I'm your co-host, Sufi Al-Hajj Daoud, also known as Dr. David Peck. The Sufi path is a spiritual, mystical, and contemplative practice often described as a journey. Universal Sufism is not a religion. Rather, universal Sufism is a spiritual path that welcomes persons of all religions or no religion at all. Our path is open to all, welcomes all, loves all. Sufi scripture study begins with a de-educational process that speaks directly to the souls of saints and Sufis and their scriptures. This study sets aside mere ethical or doctrinal readings through what Sufis call unlearning. This Sufi mystical approach enables one to see the scriptures afresh through spiritual eyes. We invite you to join our unfolding dialogue. Let the journey begin. Okay, uh, Abdullah, we're going to start uh, with this week's Come Follow Me reading, which is 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7. But I'd like to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Okay. What do I need to unlearn in 1 Corinthians 1 through 3? Okay, well, let's remind ourselves before we uh, enter into this process that unlearning involves two steps. The first step is unlearning sort of the things we've been taught. That means unlearning phrases or entire scriptures or even small words that we already believe we know, and so we tend to gloss over them or read through them without actually considering them. So we want to begin to unlearn those sorts of phrases. And then the process is one of relearning, if you will, but we want to learn uh, anew from the inside out. We want to learn from our soul outward so that the scriptural verse we're considering or verses we're considering begin to work from the inside out. Okay, so what are the what are the terms I'm unlearning and relearning in this week's reading? Okay, in First Corinthians one through three, you bet. So uh, I think that the word that appears a lot in these verses is carnal, okay, which we will often interpret uh, li- rather limitedly as the flesh, or especially we would interpret it, if you will, sexually, right? So when he says carnal. Uh, such as the the old uh, criminal phrase, car- carnal knowledge, right? Uh, right. So, so we would uh, tend to limit it to that. So I would have re-examined. Uh-huh. I would have thought of, of gluttony too. Ah, uh, overdoing it in the flesh. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and that's another one that will come in there. And indeed, gluttony may be something we want to deal with. It's not that these are incorrect. We just want to be able to uh, be aware of them so that we go, wait a minute. I think I already know what that, that word means in an interpretive sense. In other words, a carnal means this in 1 Corinthians 3, okay. rather than what I know what it means in you know, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Right. So we're going we're gonna to re-examine this in terms of how it influences the way in which we read that scripture. Another okay. one is ba- babes in Christ, uh, meat and milk make their way in here. Uh, we are also going to deal with uh, envying, strife, 
And uh, we'll see how those, those terms work out as we begin to sort of believe that we don't necessarily know what those might mean. And let's okay. take another look at them. And let's take another look at them in terms of what they do for your soul, how they apply to you. So how does envying apply to you? It may apply to you completely different than to me. And that's our Sufi relearning is we learn Christopher and envying, or I learn David and envying. We good? Okay. All right. So you want to just uh, start reading here? Sure. Okay. So 1 it. Corinthians 3.1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So I see two things right away. Go for it. Spiritual versus carnal. So now I have carnal as it looks like on the face of it, anything that's not spiritual. Of course, I have to know okay. what spiritual means too, right? Okay. And then babes in Christ, I mean, is that a babe next to Christ? Mm. Or, or or am I a babe as reborn in Christ through baptism? Well, that's know. an interesting question. So, well, let me, let me approach this maybe a little bit from kind of the angle that occurred to me as we're reading through this, which is parallels a lot of what you're talking about, uh, or at least I believe it does. Uh, so... Paul's disclosing a limitation that he has to deal with in uh, talking to these brethren, meaning I, I take that to mean people who have claimed to follow Christ, okay. whatever level they're at, whether they've been baptized yet or when, whether they're working toward baptism. And as you know, in the ancient Christian world, people sometimes studied for years, even decades before they were actually baptized. They, they would participate. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes they didn't get baptized until they felt they had achieved a certain level of perfection. You know, what's the point of being baptized if I'm going to sin again tomorrow morning? I need to get myself That's right. Yeah, I, I guess I did know that Constantine didn't want to get baptized because he might sin again, and and he, so he's waiting until right before he died to get baptized. That's it. Sort yeah. of the what we might consider deathbed repentance, although I, I right. don't know the term is really understood. But uh, so I think that. Essentially, when he says babes in Christ, uh, he's saying that, you know, you're, you're, you're new on this path. Okay. You've just begun this path. So uh, he's, he's going to say, I, you know, I, I can't speak into spiritual things. I have to speak a, about carnal things, whatever those are, and whatever spiritual things are. And I have to talk to you like your children, right, in Christ. You know, you may okay. not know very much. I mean, we don't know how so, long. Yeah, go for it. So it's like like me. I, I'm a disciple. I'm, I'm not a Sufi master. I'm a Sufi disciple. Yes. And so I sometimes will say things in a way that I might consider elementary because they're appropriate to where you're at. Okay. And uh, I do this with meditations too. You're, say, you're saying the same thing, correct? That I would, I would say, well, I don't know that we're really ready for this kind of meditation yet. Okay. You know, may, maybe we need to work a little bit more on this. And that's an assessment I have to make with each disciple individually, right? right. And uh, with some of them, uh, I'll find myself saying, uh, I think you're, you're working on this in a way that is kind of counterproductive. Let's see if we can slow this down, things like that, and, uh, and let it sink in. So, yeah, so I, that's what I get out of it. Exactly what you said, spiritual and carnal are different, and apparently— mutually exclusive to some degree or that's what it looks like 
Yeah, it looks like it. Or the, or they may be joined in a process that, that grows over time. In other words, maybe if I achieve another level that we call spiritual in this path of, of spiritual attainment that we're working on, if I achieve that, then maybe the next level will appear as if I have to deal with the carnal, right? In other words, I have to deal with the lesser so I can go to the next level. And so it, it may be, and Sufis would tend to see it that way, that it's sort of a, a revisiting of what we might call carnal, because it's a, a project of uh, self-perfection of the soul with the assistance of the divine. Okay, so let me see if I understood. Uh, I was thinking, we said that they might be mutually exclusive. That's one reading. I was thinking maybe carnal is at one level and spiritual is another, as at, a, is at another level that's higher. Mm-hmm. But, but it sounds like you're saying maybe even though spiritual may be higher than carnal, I may revisit the carnal again. Is that right? That's correct. Now that you so it's a circle. Yes, it, I think that's how a Sufi would probably see is it. Is it an upward spiral? They would like that metaphor. Okay. Yeah, Sufis would definitely see this as, uh, you know, the word we use for this is tawab, which means turning. Okay. Turning. And so it's it's moving upward, but turning. So it's it's like... You have to come back to where you were, only you're now at a higher level. So when so, you say turning in a Sufi context, I think of whirling dervishes. Exactly. That is exactly the metaphor. Okay. Now, not a lot of people understand why these whirling dervishes who are Sufis, who study with the uh, great Sufi Persian poet, uh, 13th century poet Jalaluddin Rumi, right? He founded the, the order, the Mevlevi order, which we call the whirling dervishes. Okay, and uh, the notion of tawab is that we are we're constantly coming back to where we've been. So, but we can be higher. We move up that. It's like an upward spiral um, effect. And so, yeah. The other thing that occurs to me when you say turning, I think of repentance. I don't think this is the way uh, most Latter Day Saints think of repentance, but turning isn't that the meaning of repentance? Turning. Yeah, I think it is. How does that fit in this conversation? Okay, so. Uh, the idea of repentance uh, in Sufism isn't a necessarily repentance from a sin, but is, it, it is a repentance from going, being wayward, being distracted, okay. or being lost, right? And, and so, uh, you know, as distraction, we call ghafla. Well, I'll probably use that term once in a while, but we can call it heedlessness. We're not paying attention. Okay. So it, 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 a lot of what we would probably call sin in our lives is where we're just we're just not paying a lot of attention to what we're doing. So the idea of turning is we look back and make sure that we haven't returned, right? In the turning that we're elevating, we're moving upward. We're not simply returning to the same old things we've done again and again and again. And so the, the turning notion is one that is a repentance uh, prompted by self-examination. Could I, I think Rafla brings to my mind carelessness. How about carelessness? Mm-hmm. Carelessness, you bet. Okay. Carelessness, heedlessness, uh, just a lot of a lot of what we do is we're just we're not paying attention to our, ourselves and our commitment and our desire to improve, and so we get in a habit and we move through that habit uh, every day without really saying, "Wait a minute, I need to return to where I got that habit from." Maybe, maybe I want to rethink what I'm doing here. Often we think, oh, I just need to start a new habit, but the Sufi's going to say, maybe you already have some good habits. Why don't you, why don't you look at where you are and, and figure out where you want to be? 
Yeah. So given that context and, and thinking not necessarily sin, then I can see myself as sort of on autopilot. That can be something like being on autopilot, not really paying attention to what I'm doing. It looks a lot like my everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm honest. Yeah. 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 I mean, most of our life, we, we pay really very little attention. So when I just pray, going through the motions, that's right. When I pray, then I do something I'm calling prayer. And then I do some other stuff that I may call whatever. And, and so uh, the notion here is that we, we consider what we're already doing and reflect upon it as well as consider where we should be heading and reflect so, upon it. So that's mindfulness, right? A lot of it is mindfulness, yes. Okay. I, yeah, a lot of what Sufis do could be considered mindfulness. I think there's some things they do that we want to move beyond mindfulness. Okay. Um, and uh, we can talk about that later. So I wouldn't say it's it's mere mindfulness, but I would say it's very compatible with mindfulness. Okay. And uh, yeah, very much in the now, right? Uh, Ram Dass's famous book, Be Here Now. Right. Uh, I can't think of a better so, statement of mindfulness. Self-awareness? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And when we say self, the Sufi is going to say soul awareness. Oh, being aware of my nafs my soul yeah your inner yourself that that endures phases of existence yourself that's real not my true self your true self yeah as and and in existential terms as opposed to my ego self yes a constructive self yeah sufis we wouldn't wouldn't use it necessarily in the freudian sense the word ego but they would use it in the sense of the constructed self the self that i present to others and the self that i'm in danger of believing that it is me so is that when you say constructed self, is that I'm an American, I am uh, even a son of God in some sense. W- what do I do with that? Well, uh, you know, without moving too deeply into that sort of thing, that's, those are identity questions for a Sufi. In other words, uh, if, I, if I tell people that I'm a Mormon, uh, then I, I'm, I may be claiming that as an identity thing, even though I may not be very active or I may not Right, I, or I may be super active in the Mormon Church. I may be, and so we would look at those as externalities. In other words, they're either labels we use, or okay. ways in which we define ourselves vis-a-vis others. Well, you're so the issue is that the issue is not that it's not true. I am a son of God, but just calling myself a son of God isn't enough. That's what yeah, you're saying, right? Yeah, we, okay. well, that's part of it. That's a big part. We have to be more to it. Yeah, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord. Get, enters in the kingdom of heaven because, right? you know, and uh, so, yeah, I think that there's, uh, the idea of coming to a true self is this returning, and that that's done for Sufis in spiritual practices, meditations, prayers, uh, taking daily time to allow our soul to have a voice in our life. And that, so that's to me a little more than just mindfulness. It's, it's coming back in and saying, you know, I need to create room for the me that's, that, that is real and has always existed and always will exist, for that to perhaps tell me what to do. So Sufis would be less likely to pick up a book, a self-help book from a bookshelf at a bookstore than they would be to work with the master and say, okay, I think I need to work on this. What do you think? And they'd say, let's do some things that let you contact your soul. Right? They would say, inside, you already know the things you have to do. Give it a voice. So we tend to be less authority-driven, and we tend to be less uh, uh, expert-driven. It's not that we don't read the expert things we do, but, okay. we, but we know that that's just somebody else's opinion. I need to know what my soul 
is telling me. That my expert is my own soul in connection with the divine, in connection with God. And that's the real voice that, that can speak to me. Right. It occurs to me that there's a sense of authority that can be all my own. When you say we're not authority driven, you mean external authority, right? That's correct. I'm looking for the the authority that's that's my own. Right. That comes from my own soul. From that word, right? We talked about this earlier. So the notion is I'm the author of my destiny. So I am the authority. I'm the authority of my destiny. And that's to me is what agency means. That I'm the one who has to write it, no matter what what the, the scriptures of the Holy Bible may say to me. No matter what a psychiatrist may say to me as an expert, no matter what a physician would say to me, no matter what any anybody else says, ultimately, I, I have to choose. And in choosing, I write another part of my path. I author that. And so this turning really is coming back to read the book of self. Sufis would say, you're writing in your book of self every day, every moment. Do you ever read this ultimate authority of your soul? Right? Mm. And, and so this is like reading my own diary. And even deeper, right? I mean, you're right. right. It is like, it's like reading a diary, but coming back to thoughts and feelings that you can't put on paper. Right. So, yeah, the, the whole idea behind Sufism in this respect is, as an agent, I and I alone am responsible for my soul. You and you alone are responsible for your soul. God is not responsible for your soul. The church is not responsible for your soul. Your bishop is not responsible for your soul. Your spouse is not responsible for your soul. I, you, yep, and you alone. And if you take responsibility, then other relationships have a chance at being improved, right? Your relationship with a bishop, your relationship with a church, your relationship with a spouse, your relationship with a child can can move in a different direction. And so uh, that's that's the underlying concept. So turning is a returning to that. Is that is that helpful? Yes. Okay, so spiritual and carnal for the Sufi in this sense, and carnal especially is heedlessness, gafla, or carelessness. Uh, is And mindfulness then has to deal with carelessness. How am I careless? I may know it because I feel guilt. I may know it because I'm unhappy. I may know it because I expect other people to be what I want them to be without realizing they have to be what they've decided to be. I'm sensing a connection between carnality and we talked about sexual desire. We talked about gluttony, which is about excess desire for food, right? Or, or other things. I think we can talk about gluttony in other senses too. So I'm seeing this connection with desire. I'm bringing up the word desire because it hasn't come up. Okay, that's great. No, I think. I Am think I right to is. think that way? Yeah, because uh, so the Sufi would say desires are not good or bad, they, they just okay. are. They just are. But the soul, if it's in charge, then begins to understand the ways in which desires can help or hurt oneself and others around us, right? We begin to take responsibility for what we do with our desires. And can we say there are spiritual versus carnal desires? So there's soul desires. The soul has its own desire. Absolutely. And there's a conflict between that and Absolutely. carnal desires. Okay. Absolutely. What what we would say, let me let me frame that maybe in a a little bit here that would, it's a great question. So for the Sufi, just let me re-encapsulate that what, what we would say is carnal is the things that pertain outside of us, right? They're the things that we would say, uh, and I don't want to use the terms we're familiar with, worldly or 
uh, you know, sinful and those sorts of things. What we would say is carnal is, is what is this sort of external sense of I, right? This, this ego lives in a world of reputation. So seeking to gain reputation would be carnal because it applies okay. to this life. It doesn't apply to my next life necessarily. It may apply to a power structure I have with my child. I'm the father, you're the child, I'm the mother, you're the child. And so, what if I think huh? what if I think my my reputation in this life matters in my next life because it's my reputation in the church or something like that? Then what? Well then you then the church has to be responsible for your salvation, it seems to me. Right? If you're gonna mm-hmm. say like if I hold high office in the church and that means something spiritual, then it means that it has, it has to be enduring. It has to become a part of your actual soul because what moves Which is a hen. And, and if it does, hallelujah. It can, but it's not necessarily the case. No, because the okay. person who never holds an office or calling in the church, but that why, why can't they uh, find the same spiritual attainment? I think this right. is what it means when it says the first will be last and the last will be first, right? That, and, that top and bottom don't matter in any of this. Right. And we've also seen, I think we've seen, you know, people who hold office and then they fall from grace as it were. Right. So that's no guarantee. Sure. Of spiritual attainment. Exactly. Right. Because, uh, do you remember? It's a, if it is a sign, it's outward. That's the problem. That's right? See, that's an outward that's sign. I get it. Yeah. And now we can, so if we're living in the outward world, then we're living in a world that isn't real. I mean, it's real in the sense that if I drive my car into a brick wall, I'm going to get hurt. It's real right. in that sense, but it's not real in that if I could come back in a thousand years and drive my car in the same place, I doubt that brick wall is going to still be there in a thousand years, right? It's okay. it's transitory. There's nothing permanent about it. it. There's nothing enduring about it. So that doesn't mean be fools and, and hurt yourself or hurt other people. What it's really saying is always remember that what we're doing in that outward sense is of limited merit if it doesn't proceed from the soul. When it's spiritual, it has lasting and enduring eternal merit rather than there is th- yeah. there is hadrian's wall right but then i think the point is it's not hurting my soul correct it's it, it, it can indifferent hurt, right it can hurt my body but not my soul yeah there you go. i think that's a good way okay. of putting it too and and so yeah let's maybe i can sort of wrap up what i'm getting at is that this the spiritual deals with the internal uh, state of my soul and my book of self, my actions, and how I use my agency, and how I take responsibility for my soul. And then the other one was carnal would have to do uh, with that external and that outward. And of course, we know Jesus and Paul, and it's in the Book of Mormon, all over the place, they're continually saying, you know, God doesn't judge the outward man, God judges the inward. And so, right. yeah, it does, it's, it's this and, interplay of spiritual and carnal. And the kingdom of God is within me. Yeah, exactly. That that then that's related to this. If you want to build the kingdom of God, as Sufi would say, you build it inside of yourself. The king, the kingdom of God's eternal, living, enduring uh, existence is in your own soul. There, now, there can still be outward signs of it, right? Oh, absolutely. Sure. I can build walls, buildings, right? You bet. But you bet. And so, where do they come from? Sometimes people make a distinction between the kingdom of heaven on earth and the kingdom of God, and and that's fine. There's nothing using metaphors versus using literality, you know, in our interpretation. The Sufi's going to say, "Well, what's the status of your soul? No matter how you want to define this thing, 
Where, where are you at? You know, what really meant? That's how we get away from Gafla. Because Gafla becomes, well, I've got to worry about if I define the kingdom of heaven on earth different than the kingdom of God. And meanwhile, I'm not treating my, my spouse correctly. Or I'm, so it's, I'm hearing it's, it's something to do with not just the what, but the why. It is. It's, it, because it's, it's why am I doing the things or where am I coming from hey. doing these things? I should be coming from my soul. Yeah, it has to. And I could be coming from this ego, right? Maybe I'm looking for outward recognition. Sure, absolutely. So, and I get that by making available outward signs for those around me to see. And none of this has to do with, with getting in touch with my own soul, with getting into the kingdom of God within me. None of that. I think that, yeah, a way of talking about this would be um, how, my, how I, I dress or act reveal my desires and what I'm after, right? And if, in other words, if I made modesty an expression of my soul. Now, I have desires, and it's an easy thing to say, I could dress a certain way in order to realize or achieve my desires. But but do I stop and listen to what my soul has to say about that? In other words, it isn't by means of a commandment, but the soul might say, you know, maybe what, you're, what you've decided to dress like is going to put you in a place that you don't, really don't want to be in. Have you ever thought about that? And so it isn't like, one earring, two earrings. It isn't like, you know, the phylacteries are this long or they're that long or they're embroidered this way or they're embroidered that way. For the Sufi, we don't do that to other people. We don't lay down a commandment. Instead, we allow each person to, ex- to explore what their soul has to say about it. You know, are you, are you happy doing this? Are you not happy? And so the soul becomes the ultimate arbiter of desires, Right. And we, the Sufis should never forget either that, that God has desires. If you remember the famous hadith, I was a hidden treasure and loved to be known, therefore I created. Part of creation is so that God will be known and loved. He loves to be known, loves a desire. I love to be known. Or, uh, you know, Pearl of Great Price, the same thing. You know, I would that all, all mankind should love me and worship me and follow me. That's what I would. And so... It's a desire. It's a desire, absolutely. So there's nothing wrong with desire in and of itself, nope. as you pointed out earlier. Yeah, it's sort of a neutrality. We, we all have them, and they're good. Uh, imagine if there were no sexual desire, how long the human race would endure. You know, I mean... It's a good point. It's a, and, it's a, and it can be put to purposes that are beautiful, etc., and our soul will help us understand those. I have to eat too. You Maybe do have to eat much, but I have to eat something, yeah. <laughs> and do some exercise and all of that. So let, can we go back, and I'd like to see if you can maybe, why don't you restate 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 for me based on what we've said. Could you just maybe take a okay. moment and say, based on what we've said, I'm maybe going to reread this now this way. I'll give it a shot. Also, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto your soul, but as unto your carnal desires. Not unto your soul's desires, but unto your carnal desires. Okay. Because you're new at this. Ah. Uh-huh. You're not ready for me to speak to your soul. Uh, did I get it right? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if that's right or wrong. Track? I, th- I like where you're going with this. Let's maybe take, okay. w- w- can we find something for carnal then that would give us this sort of, um, if you will, a Sufi read, a mystical read on okay. this. Okay. So I'll give it another try. So, I couldn't, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as to the inner 
concerns of your own soul, right? But rather as to the outer concerns, or, or not to your inner desires, or the desires of your soul, but rather to your outward desires, or your desires that are outward facing, mm. that are that are worldly, not, not to, I, I don't want to use the usual terms either, because I'm unlearning here, right? But yeah. Th- these outward desires that you have, mm-hmm. desires to, to look good, and looking good is a big deal, right? Sure. I would like to look good. Right. How's that? Because you're not you're not ready for the life in Christ of the spiritual level. Okay. So what do you think the things are that Paul might want to talk to us that we're calling carnal, outward or outward desires or, you know, rather than spiritual, which seems to have some other level of mastery or some other level of, of engagement. So what kinds of things do you think Paul might want to talk to us. So he said what I'm going to do. I, I can't talk to you about the spiritual, the things of your soul no. yet. I just, in Christ, the things of your soul in Christ, I have to talk to you about the outward things in Christ. So it's not that there aren't outward things too. But, but Well, I can see where envying and strife comes in here now because if it's about outward things, then I'm going to be in competition over those things. Mm-hmm. Mimetic desire comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Or an Edgerard's theory of mimetic desire, right? Uh, of course, there's going to be envy, and there's going to be strife and competition, and because I'm I'm going for these outward things, and there's only so much of that to go around. Presumably, if I'm if I want to feed my soul, uh, I'll never want for for what to feed my soul with, right? Right. That doesn't Jesus say that? I will rise in you a spring, a fountain of living waters, and you'll never thirst again. That's right. You'll never thirst again. If you eat this bread, you'll never go hungry again. I'm the bread of life. You see, so once... That really throws that into a new life. Doesn't it? See, part of what's happening is we, as we begin to rework the conceptualization of this language, all of a sudden we begin to find it all over the place. So so let's go now to the, the second one. I like there's, that. There's kind of... Yeah, right. He's going to kind of clarify something here with a metaphor, I think, in verse 2. So you want to read that and maybe give us some commentary on that? I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. Okay. So what do you you think? So it seems like if, if we're only able to think of the outward, then we can only really take in the outward, which is this this food, right? This outward food that is praise, praise of the world, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or whatever yeah. it happens to be. Or outward things. praise, th- things, yeah. Whereas I guess then meat means now it's spiritual food okay. that Paul wants to I think to that's where the metaphor is going, mm-hmm. right? And we know that, that baby. But I'm still not ready for it ready for it. You're not ready. I wasn't, and I'm still not. So as we read further in past 1 Corinthians 3, 2, we need to expect a whole bunch of stuff's going to be on this carnal concept and not on the spiritual meat concept. Let me see if I can, uh, if we can take this to uh, another way of looking at it, and and let's go deeper into the metaphor for a second. So we've been called babes in Christ, and babes and milk go together, don't they? Of course. And let's, let's put ourselves back a couple of thousand years, back to Paul's day, and understand the metaphor as he would have probably understood the metaphor, which is 
I want to take us away from the world of baby formula, right? So bread. Well, well, except or actual milk. 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 Yeah, we're oh, your baby. I, I meant, I meant milk for milk, bread for meat. Could be bread for meat. Could be okay. vegetables. It could be whatever strained peas from Gerber. It could be whatever it is. Uh, but I think that there's something about milk and something about meat other than what they are as food. In other words, okay. today, if you have a baby in our world, you could feed it baby formula and raise it. But in Paul's time, that was impossible, which meant there was only one source of milk. What, what is the source of milk in Paul's day for babies? Goats? No, not for babies. Yeah, a lot of this. Oh, sorry. Yeah, for babies. The mother's milk. Yeah, mother's milk. The mother's milk. Oh, so this this now reminds me of another conversation you and I had earlier before recording, which is about in in traditional society, at least in, I think, in Muslim society, right? The, the idea that the mother is the one taking care of the child up to a certain age, right? Seven? Yeah, seven's a common. And then the father. Yeah. And, and the father and the mother. Does that relate to this? And the father and the mother. Then the father is responsible for the next seven years primarily. And it's not that these are exclusive responsibilities, but who is going to be the one that's watching over more and you know how they how they see childhood development is what it really means. Just okay. just how they that's, see that. They're, you're in the house with this conversation. Why not? Because okay. up to the age of seven, you're not going to spend a whole lot of time outside of the house without supervision. You're going to be you're going to be. In, in these traditional societies, right, speaking of a traditional society, you're going to be associated with your mother more. And, of course, traditional societies nurse until you're two. They don't wean until you're two or three. Well, and I've seen, you know, I grew up in South America and Venezuela, and I've seen uh, mothers nurse up to seven years. Yes, that's right. That, that happens. They may not have access to a reliable source of other food. The nursing. That's right. Yes, these were these these were impoverished, and that's right. And it may have a population control. The burden placed upon a woman to raise many children, right? Because uh, nursing affects fertility, and so a lot of times there's a lot of practical wisdom in what these people are doing. It seems odd to us, but in their society, Mm -hmm. it it probably uh, works for them. So, but, but so back to babies. There's all, the, the only source of food they have is the mother. That's it. Okay. They, the baby can't crawl, when it learns how to crawl, can't crawl outside the house and pick a banana and eat it. Right? It, it can't find its own more meaty food. So that means then that Paul is, because this isn't about, um, you know, being taken care of by the father is better than the mother. We're talking about stages again. Right? That's right. This whole conversation has been in some sense about stages. So I Paul can only... Feed me in the way a mother feeds a baby. That's it. That's it. And how do mothers how do mothers take care of babies? The babies wandering around or crawling around the house. What kinds of instruction does the mother oh. try to teach a baby? Here's what I'm. Here's what's coming to me. Okay. Uh, my mother's really doing it all for me. Yeah. I'm not actually doing for myself. That's right. My soul. It's the Garden of Eden. The fruit appears miraculously. It's always ripe. It only it only rains at night. Right. And so, you know, you're in a really beautiful place that way. So I'd like to take just a moment here and, and, and pause on this idea of babes needing breast milk in the okay. day and the limitations of that and remind ourselves that there are going to be other things that mothers have to teach as well. So the mother's the, the source of nourishment until the child can be weaned and things around the house that the mother has to teach the baby that the baby might not know about that could be harmful.
That's where because I see here with this that the mother is the authority, right? There is an external authority. The baby can't do it on its own. That's correct. I yeah. see. And, and so at a certain point in our spiritual development, we need to be told what to do. Okay. And and I think that, that this is basically, we, we would relate this to things like commandments. So a Sufi would not say that religion is pointless. All you need is the spiritual path. They would say, no, we, we all begin at, at a level of knowledge and understanding, which uh, the word for it is ilm. Ilm is this, it's, it's the knowledge of how to behave as well as the knowledge of facts in the world, that Albany is the capital of the state of New York. There's no truth in that. We just decided it was Albany. So it's not like okay. Albany's magic and special. Uh, and so, so the notion is at one stage, you need that. You must have that to, to at least not fall into extreme danger or die from malnutrition. Okay, so what I'm hearing is something like religion is not pointless. Religion is pointing. Exactly. It's pointing the way. Absolutely. But it's not the way. It, it won't get you the entire way up there. Because okay, part of the way. And why might that be? So if you might say, well, why might that be? And we don't, we've never tried to disparage religion. Remember, we, in, in the universal Sufi path, as we said at the introduction to the episode, we, we're open to all. We welcome all. We love all. And we don't say you have to belong to religion or don't. And we know that some traditions of meditation, we might say, well, you can't do Raja Yoga unless you understand Hinduism. And we would say, well, understanding is one thing, but you don't have to be a Hindu. And so Sufi's not going to say you have to be a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew. Okay. We're, we're going to say those are, can be very good things if we understand them for what they are and what they do. But if I'm in charge of my soul, I'm the only way that can get all the way up wherever I'm headed, that wherever I want to go, but I can use a vehicle to help me get there. And, and, and we would say that, and the vehicle would be religion. Okay, so yeah. religion is like training wheels yes. in some sense. Or yeah. like milk, right? Yeah, it's like milk. Yeah. An adult human can't live off nothing but milk. No, but I don't think you're implying that, I'm sure you're not implying that I'm going to leave religion behind once I really take off on my spiritual path. So then what's its role at that point? <clears throat> okay, if we talk about- Oh, the spiral we talked yes, about. Yes, you got right? it. I was going to say we talked about to walk. back. You bet. I have to re- return, turn, right. turn, turn. Yes, it's a checkpoint. It's a checkpoint, and it can be a beautiful one because, you know, frankly, I probably in my life have read First Corinthians a couple dozen times over the course oh, of my life. The rereading, of yeah. Course. But now I I unlearn and I relearn according to the spiritual state that I might find myself in with the questions I have in my life at the time. So I'm not going to leave this conversation with the ultimate learning that I need. I'm just I'm relearning but I'll have to unlearn again and relearn. And that's probably because all of this is happening in language and I, and it's trying to create an experience. And my experience with you as my Sufi master, you're helping me create an experience of myself, for myself, of my soul, for my soul, right? Yes. It's perfect. Yeah. We'd say we undertake the journey to God, with God, in God. And, And those are all different levels of how we're going to, our soul's going to interact with the divine and then and then we, we move it outward into our other actions, which means I, I may come to a point where I might say, well, don't steal is a commandment, but I may say, 
Well, yeah, but I would never want to do that because it means I'm going to my I'm going to behave with my ego, and I'm going to take something from somebody else, and and that they either need it or it's theirs, or I, I that I have no respect for the other person or the other entity. I'm just I'm behaving like I'm a loose cannon on deck in a storm, right? I just go wherever I want to go. No, the Sufi's going to say, yeah, I don't care if you call it thou shalt not steal, but I'm, I want to live a spiritual version of that to where uh, it would never enter into me to steal because why would I do such a thing to someone else? Okay, so as long as I am aware that I am capable of erring of evil of sin i'm not sure what to, how to put it right then i know that I, I i still have to work on my soul sure absolutely and your soul will take you beyond thou shalt not steal yes right jesus in matthew 5 calls it fulfilling the law right he says i say unto you don't commit you've heard it said of old don't commit adultery but i say unto you don't even lust that's the spiritual path you see you mm. get to a point where you don't lust Okay. Then you don't need the commandment, don't commit adultery. Well, why would you? You're not, you have no lust, right? That's, that's right. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have sexual desire, but it's not, it's not the loose cannon rolling around on the deck of the ship in a storm. It knows it, its place. That's, that's it. And, so, and it stays so, in its place. That's, and so, ilm, and, and we love that place. See, the, the best part of it is we learn to just love that place. It's right. peaceful. It's, it's fulfilling. It's satisfying. And so, uh, as we as we think about being a babe, which has to have a life, you know, structured for it, so the mother will give it commandments: don't touch the stove; it's hot. Right? Don't pick food up off the floor and eat it. You know, that uh, that no no right? And <laughs> we throw it in right. garbage, garbage. And and so, uh, what I think what I would say is that when he's saying milk and babes. He's saying we're dependent beings and we're dependent on, I think, what Paul would call the law. Right. Right. But when you, when you get to meat, then I think Paul is suggesting we move into the spiritual, the carnal, the external, don't touch, don't do, is very ethical, very behaviorally oriented. Okay. But when we move on to the spiritual and the meat, we don't have to have all the instructions of do this on the Sabbath, don't do that on the Sabbath. Instead, we go... You know, I, I want to do good, and today happens to be Sunday. How do I do good on Sunday or whatever, whatever we call Sabbath, if, if we have something like that? Right? Saturday. Yeah, it Friday, could be. Friday, depends on where you live. It could be any day. So, religion, yeah. So how, based on what we've talked about so far, how might you then restate the second verse? I've given you all these outward, you know, I've put fences around you, and I've given you all these commandments, um, and, and not, uh, I haven't let you act entirely of your own accord because you're not ready to do that yet. You, you might go wrong if I let you, you know, if I, if I take down the, what did you might fall down the stairs if I remove the, the gate, right? You have and yet so, to discover stairs. Yeah. Go ahead. Right, keep going. Right. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. And, and yeah, so you haven't you haven't really shown that you could do that. Apparently, he's writing in this letter because they they haven't been able to do these things. And he's saying, and you're still not able to do them. Yes. And then that brings us into the third verse: for you are yet carnal, etc. Yeah, yeah. In other words, you're you're yet you're yet dependent. 
Yep, you're yet you're still, you're still inside the fence. You're still mm-hmm. right, and you don't know that there's this next danger out there that I need to tell you about. And uh, then when you get meat up to the point where you can deal with some of that, and you've mastered these instructions, and you know how to live within the fence, let's open up the boundaries a little bit. And once you've opened up the boundaries a little bit, then then let's you're going to return to a new fence. You're going to return to a new set of instructions. Uh, Maybe the boundary expands. A boundary ex- it does. There's it still a fence, but it's further out. Yep. Until until okay. the notion is until there is no fence. That's right. The truth will make you free. And what is the truth for the Sufi? Is oh. the truth of your soul. Right. When you live in accord with your soul, then 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 you don't need fences. You'll do okay. What what is right? I guess there's a question. I have a question. Okay. If how do I know my how do I really know this is gonna work? I guess how do I know my soul is good? Is that just a given? It is a given, which is that the, the Sufi vision is that in coming to here, we all have, have made a commitment to, to live well, and we've all been given gifts. The gift would be called uh, fitra, uh, which is that we are predisposed to do the good. So we are not neutral beings and we are not evil beings, but we are, we are good beings. Now, we may choose a path of self-indulgence in the carnal, which could lead us to be what we might call evil in the world, but uh, we can also still choose a path that leads us to a better place. This is the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a son just like the older son. They're both sons. They're both, uh, both should have an inheritance. The father loves them both, right? There's no, there's no, well, you're older, so you get everything. You're younger, you don't. I like you because you got the, I don't know, the eye color I like or whatever it is. You speak with the way I like you to speak or you're obedient immediately and you're, your younger brother needs to I keep, keep having to remind him. It's nothing like that. It's you're a son, you're a son. And so, but he decides to go out and waste his inheritance and, you know, riotous living as it calls it and, and all of those things. But he still can come to himself, a, a dialogue for a whole other day, right? He came to himself okay. and, 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 and we can still turn. He, he just went on one extended orbit of the cycle and now he gets to turn and come back. So I'm, I'm hearing when you say come to, he comes to himself, we know what that means, right? Come to myself. It, it, it's about awareness, right? I, I lose my heedlessness and I become aware. I lose my carelessness and I become careful. Uh, but I, I could also read that as a, in a Sufi perspective as I come to my soul. That's exactly what a Sufi is going to say. And your soul sometimes doesn't have pleasant things to say to you. Oh, your soul may say, you've wasted your life in riotous living. Do you think you're grown up enough now for a little bit of meat? Can we move? Can we get the milk down and then can we try some meat? Are you ready for this? Or do you still want to live in riotous living? You know, you're, you're miserable, but you can choose to be miserable. And that's, uh, you're the author of your soul. So, so what is it you want? What is it, uh, you know, but you may not realize you, ne- you have a decision point. And frankly, in Sufism, it's one of the reasons we have masters, because the role of the master is to say, have you ever thought that you might be at a new decision point? We don't necessarily tell you what it is or how to live it, because you're the authority. Right. But we may say, it seems to me you're at a point uh, in your life where you, you, you're trying to think through some things. What do you, what do you think that means? And, and sometimes we'll say, sounds like a little bit of ego to me in there. Do you, do you agree or disagree? What do you think? And uh, so we're kind of like a mirror you know, yeah, sometimes I'm hearing echoes of our private conversations and, sure. and 
you know, for me being an intellectual, right? I'm yeah. an academic, yeah. as you yourself are, Dr. Peck, yes. right? Yeah. And so you, you've told me over and over, you know, are you listening to your mind? Are you listening to your heart? Or are you listening to your soul? It seems like you're, right. you're you're asking your mind questions that really need to be put to your soul. That's right. You're trying to reason through something. And Listen. so I'm spinning my wheels. Right, right. Because often when we get into things uh, intellectually or rationally, we can go around in circles. And so, yeah, we'll, and we'll deal with that in another another discussion in great detail. So, uh, so envying and strife. Let's talk a little bit about what we think envying might be. Right. It says, and by the way, the dead giveaway on it being external, carnal, or ego-driven is there are among you. It's relational. A lot of yes. A, another way we deal with the soul is direct. It's soul. You're in your soul. It's you. But but the other things are relational. How do I fit in vis-a-vis this other person? Or well, because they're external. That's right. They're external. Because so uh, they're external. And so, of course, if, if I'm looking for external things, as I said earlier, I'm thinking of René Girard, right? The, the mimetic theory of where violence comes from is because I want, and you also want, and we both want the same things because they're external things and they're only so much. It, this isn't that fountain of water that I'll never be thirsty again. This is, even oceans can run dry, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in competition for these things. There's the strife. That's right. That's right. Envying and strife. Except at a certain point, you can realize there's another way, right? Competition and strife don't have to be the only way in which things can be done, right? Okay. But we often see ourselves as in competition and strife, and a lot of it. And that's why envy. That's right. And so let's talk a little bit about the word envy, because I don't think it's really very well understood. You know, often, I mean, what, what are the words we would hook up with envy? We'd say envy means... I want what you have. Good. Give me another single word, though. You think jealousy? Yeah, jealousy is what we usually would say. Envy and they're jealousy. Syn- they're, they're synonyms, right? We, yeah, we say that we they're, and they're fungible, right? One is as good as the other. Okay. There's no difference between substitute them, you get the same thing. And so they're 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 not just uh, synonyms; they're really close synonyms. Yeah, or substitutes, direct substitutes. Yeah, like uh, right. it didn't matter which one you chose. Okay. And I I tend to. I tend to try to give authors a little more credit, especially someone who's written as widely and has been read as widely as, as Paul. I say, well, I think maybe envying was chosen for a reason, so maybe I need to explore what that really means rather than just getting lazy and, and substituting purely my own language. So envying, in I know uh, invidia, in, 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 or a form of it in Latin or Spanish or Latinate languages is often what we mean for, for envy, and um, the deepest forms of envy that I've come across uh, could be described as love of neighbor's harm, that you enjoy it when your neighbor gets what's coming to them. Oh, this isn't just, I want what you have. This is, I want you not to have it. Yeah, that, that's this a is, great way of is, putting it. Yeah, this is, um, what's the German word that, that we actually have borrowed in English? It's in our dictionary. Schadenfreude? Yeah, Schadenfreude. Did I say it right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is... It's not that I just don't get my way or I get the I get the resource we're both after. It's that you don't get it and I'm happy. Or you got the speeding ticket, not me. Aha, sucker. Yeah. You know, uh, gotcha. Or yes, when something happens to someone else, we have that sort of, you know, fist pump yes. And yeah, uh, yeah. so envy, 
Where does that come from? Now, I, in this conversation, I feel like I have to ask that question. Maybe I would have thought I, I knew where that was coming from outside of this conversation, but now in this conversation, where does that come from? Uh, the word itself or that meaning? No, that... that. Oh, oh, the emotion. Why would I yeah, want the desire. That? Yeah, the desire. Why would I want that? Why would I have that desire? It is a pretty yeah. particularly nasty sort of way to treat. It's, I, I would say that envy is probably the, the opposite of love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that's right. insightful. You know, that the, there's kind of this animosity and, and, you know, as long as the immigrants get what's coming to them, as long as women get what's coming to them, as long as Muslims get what's coming to them, as long as, uh, 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 you know, whatever to be in, in, in Paul's day, as long as the Samaritans get what's coming to them. So then, then I can be, even if I didn't get what I wanted, as long as they didn't either, or they got something bad. <laughs> That's right. Is that the idea? That's right. <laughs> it's, it's really kind feel of better about myself, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah. You know, maybe if jealousy's all you've got, then you've come around in the spiral enough to the point where you deal with jealousy now, not with envy. Okay. Okay. So it's the distinction you're making between jealousy and envy. Well, okay. So let me, let me give you an example of this uh, from my own life. Uh, you know, teaching at a university, we had uh, in a small community, um, we had a, a professor that was in a, a department that had, had uh, art and performance displays. And those take extra work, long hours outside of the normal workday. And so I knew this person had to work all day Saturday, many Saturdays. And so on, on, a, on a Friday afternoon, they were, um, they were at home mowing their lawn. And uh, another faculty member drove by and happened to see them mowing their lawn. And that faculty member talked to me and he said, did you see so-and-so over there mowing their lawn? Why aren't they at work like I'm supposed to be at work? And I didn't say it, but I thought, why weren't you at work when you were supposed to be so you couldn't see them mowing the lawn, right? But, uh, okay. but, but what, you know, I have to work eight to five. Why aren't they working eight to five? And I tried to explain, well, they're working very long hours on Saturdays and evenings sometimes. So they need to get their lawn mowed. You know, I, it, it doesn't hurt me. Right. Or as my dad used to say, it's no skin off my teeth. And, uh, but, but then they said, I don't care if they have to work extra time. I don't get Friday afternoon off. So they can't have Friday afternoon off either. That to me is envy. That's okay. the kind of thing that can go on in everyday life. Why do they get that? Right? They shouldn't have that. And, uh, and so on and so forth. I, that sounds like jealousy to me. How do we distinguish them between envy and jealousy? Well, when they said, if I don't get Friday afternoon off, then they shouldn't have Friday. Isn't that because I'm jealous that they have Friday afternoon off? Well, it starts with that. But I think ultimately what they'd like is a rule or some kind of prescription. That they can't have it. they can't have it. Because I can't That's have right. it. That's right. Got it. If I can't have it, you can't have it. And That's instead it. of saying, I'm happy for your good fortune, neighbor, you know, that you can you can do that. It's okay. I'm on my lawn Saturday. I, I think this makes me think again of the the story you brought up earlier of the prodigal son, right? Hmm. Isn't that the, the, the older brother, he just didn't want that the younger brother would get I what think he didn't get. And there's a question of, in my mind, maybe, and I don't want to judge too much, but the question in my mind of whether that's pure jealousy or it's envy, I tend to think because, because I think I tend to see the end of that parable myself. It's not written into the text, but I see the end of the parable is the father has consoled the older brother and said, you know, you have your inheritance. Don't worry. You know, I, I, I'm going to give you, you know, basically everything. I mean, isn't that, Back to the Doctrine of Covenants, all that the Father has will be ours. Will you get it all? And I get it all. 
So what is there to be jealous about? What do you have that I don't have? Nothing. What do I have that you don't have? Nothing. We both have it all, whatever it is. It has to be okay. a it. We can't describe it. So so the notion, I think, at the end well, of the parable is that the older son is is saying, all right, I need to, I'm need i going to grow up and let my younger son have a feast with his friends. I'm not going to get bent out of shape over this one. If I don't get yeah, when you say, Yeah, when you say uh, we can't describe it, right? I hath not seen nor ear heard. Mm. Right, the yes. things that Lord has prepared for those who love Him. Oh, yeah, yeah. We how do we quantify eternal life? Like you got more eternal life than I got. Isn't that the parable? I don't. Yeah, the labors. I don't the think penny. of it. Everybody gets a penny. Didn't everybody right. get a penny? Why are you complaining? Yeah, I don't think of it as as a uh, a quantity at all. I think of it as a quality, a quality of life, because I think it's something we can have now. I don't. I don't. I don't know whether I can have it after after I die or not. I hope so, but I can have it now. I want to have it now. I want to have eternal life now. And that's, hey, you know, that's uh, that's the quest, isn't it? That we can find something. That's a lot. That's a lot of introspection and a lot of self-adjustment, uh, of of stripping ourselves of these things, you know. And 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 that's what this spiral is about. This upward spiral. And so maybe we can come back to three, now, verse three. And okay. restate it. What do you think? So you're yet dependent on external things because that's where your focus is. Okay. You're focused on those eternal things, on those external things, right? Uh-huh. And, and so, and that's causing you, this strife can even at this point be internal because it's not really working, right? It doesn't, it's not the external that's going to satisfy. Right. And so the strife can be an internal strife. Yeah. And then there are, of course, divisions. In fact, that helps me distinguish that I was thinking of the strife as interpersonal, mm. but we have divisions next, strife and mm. divisions. So I can have an, an internal strife yeah. and then divisions between me and my brothers and sisters, right? What if, because I'm carnal still, because I'm right. I'm dependent yeah. on external things. If I could just let go of the external things and focus on my soul, yeah. and I want, then there's then there's I can have that fountain that that I can go to work on it. Is, yeah, I mean I'll never thirst. Yeah. I don't need an ocean. One of my meditations along those lines that I teach at some point, if you want, is your heart fountain. The heart mm. the heart is the organ of action. The soul is the organ of truth and instruction. The heart is the first soul of action. And and so as we come through that, let our let our heart be a fountain. And and if we do, the meditation involves thinking, well, where's my fountain at? Is it in a do I put it in a garden or courtyard? Is it you know, where is it at? What does it look like? Uh, are there, do, do things grow around it? Do they, you know, is there fruit on trees around it or are there birds that drink from it or there, you know, whatever. I mean, there's all these possibilities and each person's heart fountain will be imaged by them differently. And so this is, it's instructive. An imagine, yeah. An imaginal, uh, an exercise in active imagination. That's correct. Right. That's correct. Which yeah. is intri- integral. Now you, yeah. I thought you said it. It was the the heart was the first something of the soul. Is that what you said? Yeah, the the soul is the organ of truth. The heart is the first organ of action. In other words, the soul okay. wants action to proceed from the heart or the soul through the heart into the outward. And we're normally doing it 
the other way around. Yeah, we're or, told or... we like the fences, and and then we like telling other people what their fences are like, and they better stay in their fences. You know, <laughs> well, or they should have a fence just like ours. Yeah, yeah. You need a fence just like mine. When the when the spiritual path is really individual, that's the whole point. Because Isn't... someone may be in a widely fenced area now, and someone else may feel like they're in a four by four structure, and so. So we don't know what fence they're in. I don't know what, 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 the, what the, the, the zone of action is for another soul. I, don't, I have no idea. That's why a Sufi master has to be careful when they work with a student. There's no right. one size fits all. I think I recall even Paul himself saying something about this in this letter, right? That he, you know, would that everyone would think like me, right? He does have say the that. same fences as I do. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But they but don't know, but it's individual, That's isn't right. it? They don't. Different. They don't. God has given them agency, is what he's saying, right? This, so that they can That's it. The shoes for themselves. This is why I'm willing to say, hey, Paul's a Sufi. Mm. Now there's a thought, right? But but he, Paul, there are different Pauls to different people. When he writes to Corinth, they have their own troubles. When he writes to, you know, Rome, they have their own troubles. When he writes to, you know, Saints of Galata, they have their own troubles. And so uh, he is treating those different groups as different individuals and different collectives and different. And then we want to take them and I'll say, well, what he says in each one of those scriptures has to apply to all of us all the time. And I'm going, I think that's impossible. He, because he's saying one thing to one and one thing to another. So, yeah, I think you're, you're on to this. And, and uh, idea of do we live from the outside in? Which is really tough to do. In fact, I think it's impossible the inside out. Yeah, that's that's naturally. So uh, I think we've had a good run through these particular verses. I just want to take a minute, maybe, and say I read this all over the place. The same the same instruction given throughout time. So, you know, I I, I brought up DNC section sixty seven, starting with verse ten. Right? Do you want to do you want to read through that and maybe give us your your Sufi commentary on it as we read through? So we'll turn now to. Doctrine and Covenants 67, 10, and quickly do the same thing based on what we've... Okay. I'll, I'll read it first as it's, okay. as it's written. And again, verily I say unto you that it is your privilege and a promise I give unto you that you have ordained... No, you that have you been have, ordained. You that have been ordained, yes. Unto this ministry, that inasmuch as you strip yourselves from jealousies and fears... And humble yourselves before me, for you're not sufficiently humble. I hear the same, I, I'm getting the same feeling as Paul, right? You're, you're not there yet. But this is, this is what's possible, right? right? The veil shall be rent, and you shall see me and know that I am. I, I'm, I'm seeing that fountain, right? Not with the carnal, neither natural mind, but with the spiritual Okay, now before I go into this and try to rephrase it, I'm seeing carnal and spiritual here, but I'm also seeing natural. Mm. We haven't talked about that. Okay, no, we haven't. And not only that, but we've got three now, not just two. Right, it's not just carnal versus right. spiritual. That's how you get a dichotomy. You get binary thinking. Isn't, isn't the natural mind belonging to the so-called natural man, and now I have the carnal and the natural are the same, but that's not what it looks no, like No, I here. think that the way a Sufi would deal with this is that uh, the natural mind is the ghafla mind. It's the mind that just doesn't pay any attention. That just oh. goes. It's it's almost all of us. We're we're neither good nor are we bad. Sleepwalking. We're sleepwalking. We're sonambulant, or we're lukewarm and need to be spit out, or we're right. In other words, we haven't 
uh, it, you know, going to Dante uh, in the Inferno. I was just thinking of Dante. I'm hearing echoes of Dante. Yeah, what are you, what are you hearing? I like you wanted to talk about Well, I just, well, I mean, he says, nel mezzo del cammino di nostra vita mi ritrovai per una salva oscura. So, in halfway through our, our life, right. you know, I find myself, I come to myself, I came I come to, to myself, myself right? back to that one, to my soul, yes. right? Um, in a dark wood. Yeah, I come right. to myself in a dark wood, yeah. Right was uh, lost, but then it, it's so, and, and, you, and what does he mean that I was Yeah, pien di sonno. What does he mean? Pien di I was full of sleep, right? Was I was sleepwalking. I was sleepwalking. I was asleep, That's yeah. Just, I don't even know how I got here, he said. <laughs> he said, I, I can't read. Because I was so full of sleep. Yeah. And and then, of course, once he gets into the gates of hell, the first group of people he meets are all these people with useless lives, right? That never that were neither good nor bad, neither deserved fame nor infamy. And they don't even mm. get into hell, let alone get into heaven. It says, why don't they go into hell? It says, that Satan doesn't want them. They didn't choose his mm. right. And, and they didn't choose God. God says, where would I put them? And so they're... They're just... They're, they're lukewarm. Yep, yep, yep. And they're neither good nor bad. They're just sonambulant. These are the natural... That's what I think so. And the evil has chosen a side in a certain sense. They're the carnal. Whether they thought they've chosen a side or not, they've chosen the carnal side. I want to live for fame. Okay. I want to live for money or whatever. I want to live... Whatever it is. I want to live for uh, lust. I want to live for... And so you've you've got that. So, and then the spiritual, though, that's, that's a totally different realm. That's the internal realm. And so... What we do is we realize... So Dante is a Sufi. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, thanks for pausing on that. Neither carnal, natural, and spiritual. Now we have room to maneuver along a spectrum. It's not just one thing or the other. It's not just on or off. It's the Sufi realm of on-off or off-on that I have to keep okay, turning. So I have to turn and come back to, am I on or off? And move up the right. spiritual ladder. So if I rephrase this one, I have the Lord saying, just as Paul was saying, speaking for the Lord, presumably, right? Yes. You have an opportunity here. Yep. Right? You could have this spiritual life. It's a promise I'm giving you, right? Yep. Um, but first you have to strip yourself from these jealousies and fears. You have to stop depending on the outer. You have to stop looking out there for what can only be found in here. You're a Sufi. <laughs> that's that's the whole the whole point. There it is because because you're not going to find anything lasting or enduring or eternal out there. It just doesn't. And so, coming to the end of the verse, I'm skipping ahead to sure, the end. It, then it, this is not with the carnal mind. Or sorry, neither. Well, yeah, neither the carnal nor the natural mind. That's right. The first twelve, right? but with the spiritual, yeah. Right, neither can the natural man. I'm still in verse 10. Oh, verse 10. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, go to the... Yeah. Okay. He's coming to the end of verse Got 10, it. yeah. Yep. You need the spirit. Well, let's read the rest. Go for it. Through 13, right? For no man, no no person has seen God at any time in the flesh. The, the carnal doesn't get you access. The, the outer doesn't get you access to God because God is within. Oh, this, is, this changes the way I read this completely, except quickened by the spirit of God. So that's... That's where, so my soul is closest to God. My, it needs, well, it need, you breathe the, the spirit, right? right. The, the life breath into my soul, yep. right? Your living soul. Neither can any natural man, so no, no natural person, right, can, can abide the presence of God. 
neither after the carnal mind. Well, we already covered that. This is a repetition of what we saw in the end of verse 10. Right. You're not able to abide the presence of God now. like Paul, doesn't it? Here, you go ahead. Well, you're out there. You can't abide. You're out there. I'm in here. You right. can't. You're out there looking for me. I'm in here. In your soul, right? right? Neither the ministering of angels. Wherefore, continue in patience until you're perfected. What do I do with this? Continue in patience until keep you're perfected. Keep spiraling. Keep turning. Keep oh, rolling. keep turning. Keep, keep moving. Rolling. Keep on the path. Keep don't keep returning. Keep that's keep it. repenting in the way we've talked that's about. That's right. Turning, keep turning back, back to look at your soul. Where are you at? So I'm going to unlearn and relearn, yep. and then it turns out that was just I just went from you know from uh, from breast milk to maybe some smashed up bananas. Sure. But that's not it. No, there's more. There's right? more. There's, meat. there's more. Yeah, I've got to. I've got to unlearn smashed up bananas or mashed up bananas, and then go to something and else. Finally, the fruit of the tree of life. And I spiral upward. That's right. That's right. That's the, right. Tree, the fruit of so, the tree. So, so, uh, you know, and just to say one more thing, uh, uh, continue with patience, which just means keep keep going and know that you're headed in the right way and be confident, right? And uh, so. As, as we look at this, so I wanted to just quickly, the word quickened in there in, in uh, verse 11, you know, no man can, has seen God at any time in the carnality. You can't find God in the carnality. You can't find him in the flesh, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Except quickened by the Spirit. A quickening means to give life to, which means an awakening of the soul. So you end your synambulance. Okay, yeah, wake, wake up. up. Here, we're going to, what's the, when you put the two... I don't know what it's called. Defibrillator? Yeah, is defibrillator. You just yeah. right. I, I, I'm going to say that's that's being in, that's being inspired, right? That's right. I'm going to put the spirit in. That's you. right. And, and when we talk about wake you up, waking up, it takes me back to Second uh, Nephi, where Laman the Limbular sonambulant. And so, what does what does okay. Lehi say to them? Oh, I would that you would do two things: awake and arise. Wake up. Get up. Wake up and rise up and rise shake up, the yeah. dust off your feet. Leave the carnal behind. And so the first thing we have to do for spiritual progress is we have to awake. Come to ourselves. We have to awaken. That's and right. Like Dante, quicken. Yeah. We have to wake up. And like, like Lehi wants for his sons, you know, so if we think of those two things as awake and arise, as Lehi said it, then that's why I read Lehi and I go, the guy's a Sufi. And I don't mean that in any literal sense. But I'm saying sure. I don't read Lehi the same way at all. So, so no. would you like to comment as we kind of wrap this up on on what reading a scripture through unlearning? You know the whole the whole quest we're on in this these, this podcast in each episode is is to work with Sufi unlearning. Uh, do you have any comments on what that experience might have been like today for you? Oh yeah, my first comment is thank you. I'm grateful to have a, a guide. You're, you're my Virgil, right? If I'm Dante, the, the character, not the author, then you're, you're my Virgil, right? And you're showing me what's in myself, right? In my own soul. Since, well, here's the problem, frankly. You know, if, if, if you're trying to show me something of yourself, then that's external to me. That's not going to help no. me. That, that's only that's that's really good for the car. I substitute myself yeah. for God if I do that. Right. Yeah, so thank you for, for that. And and I can see a real value in, in reading this way. A value to my soul. I mean, this is, otherwise it's just words. You know, it's just more words, more words, more external stuff. Yeah. 
right? The words are just this external thing. This is speaking to my soul. Well, I'm, I'm happy. If it is, let me ask you the final question, the tough one. Okay. If, was there any quickening in you? In other words, when we come to... Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, inspi- I'm inspired. Well, you are. Right? Yeah. Now, I feel inspired. Ultimately, the yeah. quickening is in my life, something occurred to me that I want to go back and examine in my life. I've actually not only realized that, oh. but I've turned that we would use in our next, sure. that we would use in our next private session. I don't, we don't need to do it right I now, you mean, but no. ultimately that the greatest benefit of any of this. Yeah. I don't know if I, if, well, if I want to share that. No, 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 we're not going to bring up what, but, but, no. but, the, but weather, weather, yes, yes. I can see how I've been looking to external things, e- even to you in some sense, right? It, Give me the answer, right? You, you're not going to give me the answer. You can't give me the answer. You're outside of me. I don't have yeah. answers. Good, good questions, maybe. Okay, so hopefully the next thing is when we have a private session together that you may come back with something that said, this occurred to me. You know, maybe I need to rethink this particular thing or maybe this relationship, I don't know how I'm doing it or maybe I want to be better in this way or maybe I want to. And then that becomes the subject of the one-on-one instruction. Yeah, I thought about I thought about relationships, especially. Yeah, and, and and that's very common as we do this. That then, so ultimately, we want to walk away from the process of turning with a, a new direction to go in. So, well, I just want to thank you. We always say in Sufism that the disciple makes the teacher, right? The murid, the word for disciple, makes the murshid, the word for master. And of course, I have a master as well. No, none of us ever gets away from having somebody to reflect upon and tell us the thing we may or may not want to hear at a particular time in love with the hope of us forever finding a way to turn uh, toward a life, a fulfilled life of happiness and spiritual freedom. I saw an irony here because that reflection is coming from outside me, but it, now it reminds me of religion, right? It is outside me, but it's pointing me inside. Yes. It's not, it's not an end in itself. Absolutely. Right? My, my religion and my Sufi master are both there, not as ends in themselves, but to point me That's exactly right. to my own soul, to my own authority, because I am responsible yes. for my own soul. Yeah. Yeah. That's, thank you. Oh, you're most welcome. So uh, we'll see everybody the next time around when we have another conversation using the Come Follow Me scriptures and... Uh, We'll see if we can do some more unlearning and learning. I hope this has been profitable to you in some way. That's our desire. Yes. Uh, just invite you into our conversations and, and make this of benefit to anybody. If you'd like to share, uh, we'll, put, we'll post some information on the website uh, at LDSP Studies. Uh, is it .org? LDSP Latter-dayPeaceStudies.org and put There's email available or contact information if you would like to send questions or comments we would love to hear your feedback and and find ways in which you you may also teach us about uh uh reading and unlearning thank you for listening to latter-day contemplation presents come follow me once again i'm your co-host christopher hurtado please also consider listening to latter-day peace studies other podcasts i co-host latter-day contemplation offering a contemplative approach to discipleship and Latter-day Peace Studies presents Come Follow Me, offering nonviolent historical critical exegesis of Latter-day Saint scripture at www.latterdaypeacestudies.org. Once again, I'm Dr. David Peck. 
Please also consider listening to my other podcast of Saints and Sufis, Musings of a Mormon Mystic, offering Sufi meditations and commentary through my The Truth of Jesus is Himself series at www.daviddpeck.com. Thank you for co-hosting this podcast with me, Sheikh Daoud. Thanks also to Latter-day Peace Studies all-volunteer team for editing, publishing, and promoting this podcast on social media. Finally, thanks to our audience for listening and responding to this podcast and for donating to Latter-day Peace Studies, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. All of your donations are tax-deductible and go toward producing, publishing, and distributing content. And thank you for co-hosting this podcast with me, Abdelhaq. Till next week.